0: everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a longtime friend and someone who I think is so insanely talented joining me today. I'll tell you about him in just a moment. First, I want to share a couple things with you. In two weeks, two weeks from today, Steph and I will be leading a virtual workshop on healing your inner child. You've probably heard me talk about it on a couple past episodes. If you haven't, listen up. So about 95 to 99% of the time when someone calls into the show, their current issue has something to do with something that happened in their past. And you hear me take them back to childhood. You know What happened? What were your parents like? Because pretty much everything that we're feeling, believing, acting today is a result of what did or didn't happen to us in our formative years. Which is why it's so important to go back and actually heal the inner childhood, not just to have awareness about what happened, to be able to tell our story, to be able to psychoanalyze ourselves, but to truly go back and heal that inner child. And I want to say a couple things. You don't have to go back and relive traumatic events to heal, and you don't have to have specific clear memories to heal and transform. And you don't even have to feel like you can connect to your inner child to be able to heal, because I'm going to teach you how to do this in the workshop. So when you join us for this three-day virtual workshop, and listen, if you can't come live, that's totally fine. If it's time zone or you're busy, or you just can't sit for a Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday and participate in a workshop, that is again, 100% A-OK. You can get the recording. You'll have access to it for 30 days. So go to christinehasler.com slash child. Watch the video. We explain a lot on the page. Read it all. And I just know intuitively, you'll know if this is right for you. This is aligned for you. This is such a beautiful time to do inner child work because we're in such a transformative time in our world. There's so much uncertainty and you need a healthy relationship with your inner child and tools to reparent yourself on a daily basis as we navigate this uncertain time. If finances are an issue for you, email jill at christinehasler.com. We'll work something out. Okay. If you really feel called to do this, I don't want money to be a block. And I also want you to be confident in investing in yourself and investing in your growth and start seeing the high ROI on investing in yourself and your inner child. So again, christinehassercom slash inner child. Steph and I are still doing the free calls, free breathwork meditation calls. You can always access those at christinehasler.com slash free call. All right, now let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. NQ is a National Poetry Slam competition award-winning poet and multi-platinum songwriter. He is just so cool. I have gotten the pleasure of watching him perform many times. And at my book release party for Expectation Hangover in 2014, maybe some of you were at the LA event, he came and performed there. He's incredible. And he performs two pieces on the show today. Really let yourself listen. They're they're, they're powerful. He is also on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list of the world's most influential thought leaders. He inspires audiences around the world through his live performances and storytelling workshops, and he brings his words to paper in his heartfelt and entertaining debut book, Inquire Within, which we talk about on the show. His poetry contemplates themes about life, presence, forgiveness, and social issues, including climate change, gun violence, racism, and more after hearing NQ and reading his poetry, you'll definitely be impacted. So enjoy my talk and the performance by NQ. NQ, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here.
1: Thank you, Christine. I'm really happy to be here.
0: So we go back many years. I can't even remember where we first met, Summit or This Fest or something like that. And I asked you to perform at my book release party in LA in 2014 for Expectation Hangover because I'd seen That's you perform. Right. Yeah, I'd seen you perform and just always was just so amazed and blown away and deeply touched by your poetry and your performances. And it meant so, so much to me that you were there and everybody loved you. So I'm happy to have you back in, into the tribe. Thank you again for being
1: here. Appreciate it.
0: So let's just start with asking kind of an obvious question. Why are you called NQ?
1: So in Q was given to me when I was in high school, I started out rapping and uh, I was looking for rap names. And a friend of mine said, you should be inquiry. Hmm. Because he was like, you asked so many questions about life. And uh, so I, I was like, I like inquiry. So then people started calling me inquiry. And then that pretty much immediately got shortened to in Q And then people started calling me Q and, I rarely heard my real name after that. Um, so it's, it's something that stuck my whole entire life. And then eventually, uh, In Q, as a meaning, got changed to In Question. And it's really a life philosophy more than anything else.
0: Mm. So you started out kind of as a rapper? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Not, not kind of. I was a rapper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but now you've been transformed into like you're a songwriter, you're a poetry writer, you're a performer, you do all these different things. Tell us a little bit about the metamorphosis of your work and your career.
1: Yeah. When I was 19 years old, I wound up in an open mic for poets in Los Angeles called the Poetry Lounge. And uh, I was just so struck by the talent. It was the first time that I had ever seen people get on stage and be fully celebrated for vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the same way, you know, if I was in a cipher and I said a great line, You know, people would be like, oh, it was like if someone was on stage and they would say something that was true, the audience would respond. And the lounge ended up being one of the biggest open mics, if not the biggest open mic in all of the country. Mm. So 250 to 350 people every single week that would show up and, you know, watch everyone who would get up from signing up on the list. And it was really like church without religion. Mm. And I was hooked. So I started signing up on the list from the first night and I was doing my rapping acapella and people responded. And, you know, over the years, that community became a family and we were on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam together and won the National Poetry Slam Championships. And one day I woke up and I realized I was more of a poet than I was an MC. And mm-hmm. that's where the beginning of the poetic journey started.
0: Well, and it's so, at least for me, hard to describe what exactly you do because having seen it multiple times, I feel like I'm completely selling it short because it's, it's poetry, it's art, it's even music, it's insight, it's teaching, it's informative, it's confrontational, it's, inc- it's all these things. So rather than me trying to <laughs> describe it, which I'm doing a lousy job at, would you mind giving us one of your poems?
1: Sure. Yeah. This is called I Learned Fear. And this is um, Mm. half something that's in the book Inquire Within, which I'm sure we'll discuss next. We will. There is nothing in life that you cannot breathe through except death. And since we're all alive, it means at least there's one breath left. So pull it deep into your chest, into your bones, into your breasts, into your blood, into your necks, into the mud, into the depths, until it hugs your souls and suffocates the space that you have left, until it tugs your heartstrings and leaves your molecules caressed. Just a few precious seconds right before eternal rest. Will you fight for your survival from this uninvited guest? Will you Rolodex your history to glamorize regrets or set your sights on new arrival and go sprinting up the steps? Me, I'll revel in the wonder of the colors and the shapes. The way the light resembles floating diamonds dancing on the lake. I'm nobody's mistake but my existence wasn't planned. I had to sneak into the party. They were out of wristbands. Now I'm sinking towards the exit like it's made of quicksand. See, I got used to spinning my wheels, but hit the kickstand. I want to truly view the world around me while I still can. I want to worship every flower giving prayers over the lands. I want to open up my eyes so wide that what I see expands and the beauty beams so bright that overwhelms woman and man. Fuck a portal to the light. I want to scream. I want to fight. I want to eat and fucking and drink. I want to touch. I want to think. I want to feel and taste and see. I want to live. I want to be. And I'd give anything but life because I'm dying to be me. I spent half my life trying to be anything but me. Now my afterlife is spying on my new reality. And I'm vying for another breath before he sets me free. I'm defying death with everything, cause death's defying me. I will rant, I will rave, I will spit, I will rage. I'll go barefoot on the sun or swim a sea of razor blades. I will grow, I will age, I will slow, I will fade. I'll sleep on hot coals or juggle chainsaws and live grenades. And though I know I'll never give up, in the end I'll give way. Hey, I'm sure there's someone else with something more important to say. But until then, I'm living each and every fucking day. So when I take a breath, I do it like I swear I'm here to stay. Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core, receiving since your youth when your choices weren't even yours, perceiving was the proof, but reality has many doors, so why are we still fighting other people's wars? Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating, repeating, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core. And you can't tell the difference because it sounds the same. But trust me when I tell you most of what you think is from somebody else's brain. They have us trained. Shackled by imaginary chains. Imaginary rules for imaginary games. But they don't know the reasons either, so where should we place the blame? And who is they anyway when we're all the same? Our parents had parents, and their parents had parents. Apparently, it hurts to see, so I'll be transparent. The world is so much bigger than your insecurities. And they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. The world is so much bigger than your culture or community, and they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. Because if it's all a story, then nobody else can tell it for me. Since I'm always transforming, I defy a category. When you do the same thing the same way, it's habit forming. But nothing in this land of woman and man is mandatory. It's all just transitory. Our world's a laboratory. Experimenting on today can change tomorrow morning. And since matter is mostly empty space, We're in a sea of consciousness where the boundaries are erased. So I stared at my reflection until I couldn't see my face. Then I picked myself and put the flowers in an empty vase. If you came for validation, then you're in the wrong place. The only certain satisfaction is becoming what you've chased. And there's no running from the inner voice. So it's important that you choose, but it's more important that you know you have a choice you have a choice are you living someone else's life you have a voice does it haunt you in the dead of night would you fly if you weren't convinced to be afraid of heights and who convinced you anyway they had no fucking right no one can dim your life. You shine within so bright that you could blind the sun from sight and scare him back into the night. No one can dim your light. I said it twice because you're greater than the circumstances that surround your perfect life. You're not your nature or your nurture. You're a prototype. And if you hone it right, eventually you'll hack your satellite. At first it's nothing. Then nothing turns into a whisper. Turn the dial and it gets crisper in your transistor. Wait a while and the whisper turns into a scream. It overwhelms your system and you won't know what it means, but pump the volume up and it can tell you all your dreams till pretty soon it's the only voice you'll ever need. Now all you have to do is listen when you want to lead. Your fear disintegrates when you decide to stop and breathe. It's your authentic voice. No matter where you go, it never leaves. And that's God, no matter what religion you believe. Hmm.
0: They always leave me speechless. (laughs) What's the name of that one?
1: It's a combination. Um, The first one is called Breathe, and the second one is called Learn Fear but they make more sense together. Mm. You know, like oftentimes I'll write different pieces and then I I find that when I attach them, they make a stronger statement. Mm.
0: And it's so perfect for what we're facing right now because I think fear is, not I think, I know fear is something that so many of us are feeling right now. But that in that, there were several ways, including just saying it, that you reminded us we have a choice and that a lot of it is learned and that we have a choice to make a different choice about what we want to feel.
1: I think I'm reminding myself. You know, <laughs> you know like I don't, I don't feel that my poems are me sitting on a pedestal. You know, I'm the first person in my audience and, and uh, you know, they're, they're almost me purging or praying or both, but they're definitely a reminder to live my best life. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to uh, make a living reminding myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Me too. We just do it in different ways.
1: What's, uh, what did it make you think of in terms of a fear that maybe is learned for you that you're moving through right now?
0: Um, I think it's fear of things going bad, like sort of that learned fear. I think it's a societal learned fear and just an animalistic learned fear to look for the negative, to always be on alert for what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. and that's one that I navigate and ask myself instead, well, what could go right? What, what are the what-ifs that I want to choose to believe that make me feel good instead of the what-ifs that make me feel fear or anxiety or tension in my body? So I'd say that one. What, what, what would it be for you?
1: I guess it's just um, letting go of a need to control. hmm You know, I think it's similar. I think, look, the the world is united in our anxiety right now. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's interesting, you know, you pass people in the supermarket and, you know, everyone is definitely on edge. They're definitely scared. But you also know that everyone's thinking about the same thing. Yeah. You know, most of the time when you see a stranger, you don't have any idea what's going on in their mind. And so it's interesting to... You know, go to the supermarket, which is the only place that I'm congregating right now, because I'm definitely both me and my girlfriend are, um, you know, on self-quarantine and and have been for quite a while. But when you are in the supermarket, you do see it. Mm -hmm. You know, you you know that everyone's thinking that or if you do take a walk and you pass someone, when you say hello, there's a little bit more of a deeper connection because everyone is now forced to face the same human experience at one time.
0: It's so true. And there is a unification in that. There's a psychological term, I'm sure you've heard it called trauma bonding of how people that go through a traumatic experience together have this instant bond and instant connection that that Mm -hmm. unites them and creates intimacy very quickly. Um, And I think that's one of the things that we're, we're seeing. And, you know, hopefully... It's not just fear that unites us when we get to the end of this. Hopefully it's much, much more, whatever the end is or next stage or, or whatever. It's navigating that uncertainty that I think is really bringing us face to face with our humanity and the illusion that we have when it comes to control, because I think we're all seeing, oh, wow, I don't have as much control as I thought I did, that in a moment things can change, which is a life lesson, at least for me, that I've had to learn over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, I think human beings have a need for certainty. Mm -hmm. Even they have a need to be certain about their uncertainty, you (laughs) know, to continue to look for things (laughs) that they can feel uncertain about so that they can at least feel certain about that, you know? Um, and I'm certainly going through that too. Uh, and my girlfriend and I were laughing because I, (laughs) I literally, there's nothing more comical than this. I've been like basically, uh, thinking about the virus for quite a long time. I haven't really talked about this on any of the podcasts that I've done in the past for the book. Really. I've just been on this book tour promoting the book and But it's impossible to ignore the reality of the situation right now. And I don't think it does any service to you or I or or the audience. Agree. So anyway, I've been on this for a while. And so we've been stocked up, not in an irresponsible way, but we've been stocked up. And I had all of this water that was like, you know, in the living room. And we were putting it away the other day. It had been out for a while. And um, as I'm putting away my emergency water, You know, not that I think the electricity or the water is going to go out, but you just want to make sure. So I'm putting away my emergency water and I throw my back out. (laughs) I mean, is there anything more ridiculous than that? Trying to control something that is out of control and then having an injury as you're picking up, you know, it's like I'm trying to pick up the thing that will save us. Yeah. You know, and my body said, nah, man. My body yeah. said, sit down, you're done. Well, so, it's yeah.
0: oh uh, so many interesting things about that. First it's you know, the back is such symbolism metaphysically in terms of feeling supported and feeling control and certainty, especially the lower back, is all about like you know, knowing where we are, knowing what we're doing, having control, having certainty and feeling supported. So in times, I think there's, I've heard of a lot of people that are having back pain or back injuries during this time, because I think we're really thrown off and feel shaky and feel uncertain. And the other thing that is interesting to me is, I don't know if this is a male, female response, but my husband's been the same way with water even getting mace. I'm like what are you what are you preparing for here? And mm. making sure we have tons of, you know, not tons again responsibly, but canned goods and all these things. And I've been the one that's been more concerned with sanitizing everything that comes in the house, washing right. our hands and and it's just interesting how it's the men go to, do we have supplies? Are we protected? And the women I'm making a massive generalization, but I've seen, you're not the first person I've talked to about this, are going to hand sanitizer and rinsing everything off and cleaning the home. The men are protecting the home, making sure we have supplies. And I think some of the more feminine energy and women are making sure that, you know, everything's clean and, and sanitized and all that. So it's just interesting how we're all doing whatever makes us feel like we have some aspect of control during a massive time of uncertainty. It's just the human condition of trying to deal with that scariness. And for me, what this times like this, if I don't allow the fear and panic of the collective to pull me in can often be a massive channel for creativity. Like that the healthy part of me wants to channel the energy into for me it's writing a book or something creative. And so I'm wondering about your creative process and how it's impacted by what's going on right now.
1: That's a great segue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: That was a great segue. I don't know what they call that in the business, but that was a great segue. That was oh, awesome.
0: Wasn't even intentional, so thank you.
1: I know, I know, but it but it moved it back into creativity. And yeah, look, I think I remember I watched the uh, secret many years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was high and I was like at home alone, watching the secret stoned. Mm -hmm. And I misunderstood the law of attraction.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine why,
1: (laughs) you know, I just literally was thinking like, Oh, I get it. You just have to be totally like happy all the time. You know, so I walked around for a long time, like, "Hey guys, no, 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 it's all good. Like, it's all no, 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 no problems here. Like, everything is fantastic." And uh, that didn't work. You know, I mean, that's not the true essence of what it means to be human. You know, you wouldn't even know good without the comparison point of bad. And uh, and this human experience is a ride, and it's all of it. So I think. Um, the shadow emotions are actually awesome, and they can be used as fuel. But you have to create rather than destroy, and that's mm-hmm. the way that you have alchemy: is you take it, you acknowledge it. You know, you don't distract yourself from it, uh, ignore it, you know, pretend it doesn't exist, take it out on other people. Because if you stuff it inside of yourself, you'll suppress it into a disease, or yep. you know yell at someone in traffic or something like that. So you have to own it. um, But then you have to decide to create rather than destroy. Mm -hmm. And I think in that way you fully can release it. So my process is to always pay attention to when it is that I am inspired or moved or pissed off Mm -hmm. and start my poems from that place. And if I start my poems from that place, then the rest of the poem will almost write itself if I give it enough time and space. And now is no different, you know, so I'll just kind of look around and see what jumps out at me. And when something jumps out at me, I take it, I write it down because then I'm starting in a place that is real.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's a lot of pressure to sit down at an empty page or maybe for someone else, an empty canvas or a computer or however people choose to create, you know, uh, they sit down, they, they say, I have to make a song. That's a lot of pressure, yeah. you know, and, and so for you, uh, I'm going to make a book. Well, it's like hard to make a book if you don't give yourself some sort of a structure, you know, uh, some lines that you can play inside of, because otherwise it's infinite possibility and infinite possibility is truly where creativity comes from, but it also can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, And then people stop themselves from actually even moving forward. So um, for me, as long as I have something that's true, uh, then that's, that's the perfect jumping off point. And then no matter when I come back to it, it's already there.
0: I feel the same way about the creative process. When people ask me how I write a book, they often say, well, do you time block? And I say, not really, because I can't block off two to four every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and just expect the inspiration, the feeling to be there. I really have to respond when I'm inspired because otherwise it's more strategic than it is truly authentic in terms of creating something. And it's definitely a process. It's not, it's not an overnight thing. And I wanna talk about your book, Inquire Within. This is your first book, isn't it?
1: This is my first book. I never intended or quite honestly had any interest in being an author until now.
0: <laughs> oh, what changed your mind?
1: You know, well, we had been trying to, we did a special at the Ace Theater in Los Angeles, which was 1,700 seats and we sold it out and it was a star-studded event. Chris Martin, from Coldplay was there and mm. it was Dawson and Demi Moore. And I mean, it was an incredible, incredible room. And, uh, You know, we filmed it with, I don't even know how many cameras, but it was a really professional shoot. And we intended to try to sell it to like a Netflix or a Hulu or something like that. And uh, afterwards, we ran into more problems in selling it than I thought we were going to have. I thought, you know, if you just make a really amazing product, it's almost like in Field of Dreams, you know, if you build it. Yeah. Well, not always. Sometimes you build it, (laughs) no one fucking comes, you know. so true. (laughs) You know, but the building was important. Mm -hmm. And so we had this amazing product and I was kind of like, why didn't we sell this? And I think it was because, you know, people are still confused really by the genre of poetry. You know, it's not really a fully recognized art form in popular culture. And it's certainly not monetized that way. I mean, up until this point with the virus, I mean, I've been doing 70 shows a year all around the country and the world and workshops and stuff like that so we've managed to make a business out of it while maintaining my artistic integrity Um, but it took a long time to get there and so I think the buyers were kind of like well if this was comedy we would just take it right away but being that it's poetry we're not really sure who the audience is or how to sell to them. And uh, at that point, I was like, you know, maybe I should make something that's physical, like, you know, create something in the world, a home for my art. I've been writing these pieces for 25 years and they've always been these living, breathing documents that have changed and evolved as I've changed and evolved. I would edit them. You know, I'd say, oh, I don't believe in that anymore. And what if I brought all of those pieces into one place and allowed it to have a life for someone else? Mm-hmm. you know, for them to experience it in their own voice or to buy my audiobook, you know, whatever. And then from that point, I think I would have an easier time selling a special or building the rest of what we want to build on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we decided to do it. And like many things, you know, when you're going in the flow of life, oftentimes it's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> and this was so easy. Whereas some of the other things we were trying to do, even though they were successful, they were very difficult to complete in the way that I had envisioned. Yeah. And this was a situation where we were lucky enough, a friend of ours, uh, who's an incredible uh, poet, Atticus, hooked us up with uh, his agent, Andrea Barsby, and we made a deck. Within a couple of weeks, we sent it out. We had four meetings. We got three offers and we went with uh, Harper One which is uh, the spiritual division of HarperCollins. And they do like The Alchemist and Four mm. Agreements. And I just felt immediately aligned with them and, and really excited to create it. And I couldn't be more proud of of what we did together.
0: Mm, I love the cover. I just Thank love you. the cover. It's so metaphorical in so many ways. So everybody, I'm not even gonna describe it to you. You gotta go get the book. I'm not gonna spoil
1: well, let it. Me, <laughs> let me actually say something to you. Yeah, yeah. The, the cover, I will describe it because I want to, I'll give you some further insights to what we were thinking. Okay. So the cover is, um, for anyone who's listening, you know, it's a tree and then beneath it's the roots and the roots mirror the branches. So it's the concept of as above, so below. But Christine, if you turn it to the side, you see that it's lungs.
0: Oh, wow.
1: <gasps> and the two halves of the book are inhale and exhale. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, inhale is the personal poem. So it's almost like my poetic hero's journey. It's about my father not being around. I didn't meet him until I was 15. My mom is a school teacher who raised me on her own, obviously. And just, I guess, coming to my own understanding, you know, I was a pretty angry young man. But I I, I tell all of these things through poems. So Mm -hmm. there's this jagged through line. And then exhale is the social and political poems you know, about the world. So it's, you know, change yourself, change the world. And that that was the overall concept and idea for Inquire Within.
0: I love it. Is it, because I haven't gotten the book yet, probably because we moved, so it probably went to my old address.
1: I <laughs> hope it winds up in somebody's it, hands. It will. it'll it.
0: probably get to my PO box and Jill will send it to me because I I can't wait to get it. Is it all poetry or is it is it you writing as well? Just Just regular writing?
1: You know, when I do shows... I like tell a lot of funny stories in between yeah. because I find that it like breaks up the tension and allows people to trust me and lean in a little bit more. When I don't take myself too seriously, then people don't feel like, "What is this dude's agenda?" Mm-hmm. You know, in saying all of these things. And um, and so I wanted to incorporate that into the book as well. And so there are stories that I write that are just little anecdotes about my life that kind of help to piece the poems together as glue. But interestingly enough, when we brought all of them into one place, they had a very natural conceptual through line. And to your earlier point, which is such a great point, I personally, as you don't, don't stra- I don't strategize my inspiration. <laughs> right. You know, I think strategizing your inspiration is one step away from manipulation. And if you're manipulating your audience, you're manipulating yourself first. Mm -hmm. So it was in bringing all of these pieces into one place that I finally had a sense of what I've been trying to say all of these years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It does take a while sometimes. Well, and this is such, let's see, by the time this interview comes out, it'll probably just be coming out. March 31st is when it's available. And yeah. Pre-order now. If, if the, this will probably come out right when it becomes available, and I really encourage everybody, I'm going to have Q do do one more poem for us before we start to wrap up. But I, this is the kind of book to read right now, and I'll tell you why. One, your poetry to me is a transmission, and it's so much more than just the words and. Especially the, the inhale part that gives all of us an opportunity to see ourselves in that because we might not have had a father that wasn't there, but we definitely, our heart's been broken. We've had people abandon us. We've had people reject to us and we all have ways that we compensate. And everybody that listens to this podcast knows when you listen to the coaching episodes, you learn so much about yourself by Listening to someone else's story. And by having it in in a poetry form, in a different form than you're used to, it's going to activate a different part of your brain, the less logical, practical, fear based part, the more emotional, creative part. And that's the part of your brain that's really good to be activating right now. And then the exhale part, I've, I've heard you do a lot of your poems and they from my point of view, it's it's a kind of a miracle thinking. It gives you a different perception of things. So I really encourage everybody to go grab a copy of Inky's book, Inquire Within, and definitely see some of his videos. Are you going to be doing shows again when we can be out in the world again?
1: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for saying that. I I really appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, the book, I mean, it has 60 illustrations in it. So we wanted it to be like a almost a Shell Silverstein-esque, Experience. Oh, I love Shel
0: Silverstein. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm really, really, I mean, I think the illustrations are incredible. And then the audiobook, I mean, you can have me read it to you and then you can listen to the poems whenever you want. So either one is an interesting way to consume it. And yeah, I mean, we are definitely going to do shows again. We had some pretty big shows in LA and New York and San Francisco set up and Denver and DC. And of course, you know, we had to cancel them all and uh, that was certainly based on what's going on in the world, the right thing to do. But it was also disappointing, you know? Yeah. And we had a lot of other things set up. We had a billboard and a mural, and, you know, it was crazy. It just like overnight, all of it went away. But there are obviously bigger issues to deal with. And yeah. we are all going through this together. So um, well, I hope I'm, that people find some peace and, and some inspiration from this book.
0: Oh, they will. They will. I know they will. They probably already have by listening to. You what you've said so far and (laughs) you were so prophetic when you wrote the name of this book first of all the fact that it looks like lungs and we're dealing with a respiratory virus and second that the title is inquire within because that's what we're all being asked to do from a global perspective like we all are being asked to look within at our own mental and emotional viruses you know the things that are contaminating us and the things that have been contagious in our lives in terms of the fears and the belief systems that we've taken on. So your, your book is right on time. I'm really, really excited for
1: it. Yeah. You're so right about that. You know, it's interesting for a person to make systemic change, they usually have to face some sort of a trauma, Yep. you know, and it's, it's something that forces them, uh, outside of themselves so they can actually see their lives from a different perspective. And then in that window of time, they have an opportunity to make real change. And if they do, then their lives can shift. And if they don't, they'll fall back asleep again. And then 10 years can go by before they get another chance. And an individual is the same thing as a collective. And so that's really what's happening right now. We're going through a collective trauma, which is an opportunity because the way that we've been living is clearly unsustainable. Yeah. And you know, the fact that we're profiting off of the suffering of people and the planet has to stop. Yeah. And if we fall asleep again, we're going to wake up to climate change in yeah. a real way in 20 years. And that will be an existential threat. And it won't be something that we can so easily press rewind on. Yeah. So that's not to downplay any of the suffering that people are experiencing now. I know it's hard out there, but it's hopefully a perspective into finding some hope.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. We have a big assignment right now. And it is a collective trauma, but like you said, that's usually where the wake-up happens. That's usually when the awakening happens. No one ever comes to me in terms of what I do and says, "Oh, Christine, everything in my life's going great. I just right. want to get better." <laughs> they come right. to me when they have an expectation hangover when things don't according to plan or life throws them a curveball. So I, I yeah. do have a lot of hope and a lot of excitement. That's been a practice for me is when I'm feeling the fear of the uncertainty is reminding my body and my nervous system that the unknown can be exciting as well. It can be full of amazing possibilities and that helps shift it a bit. Mm. So as we wrap up, could we have one more poll, maybe a like uplifting one that leaves us, leaves our heart warm and fuzzy?
1: Yeah, sure. So (laughs) I'll do 85 because it seems to make sense. And we had spoke briefly at the beginning about Mm. doing something Mm -hmm. about about love. So I'll give you a little bit of context before I do the piece, but I used to live in this uh, tiny little back house and the woman that owned the main house, her mom moved in at a certain point, her name's Dolores. She was in her (laughs) eighties and yeah, basically like her and I shared a kitchen. So we became friends And I would go in, I'd make coffee or food, and we would sit and we would talk about life or, you know, love, pursuit of happiness, all of that stuff. I would complain about my ex girlfriends, whatever was going on. And uh, we just came to really, really love each other. I very much respected her. She was very charming and she had a lot of wisdom. And uh, one night after she had been there for six months or a year or something, I, I woke up, it was like three in the morning, and I had these big window and I could see through the blinds that the ambulance lights were flashing and she was getting taken away on a stretcher and she was still alive, but she was having major, major health complications. And so I went and I visited her in the hospital and she had tubes in and out of her system and a very high fever and she didn't recognize me. And the doctors were not giving her a great prognosis So I sat with her for about an hour and I just basically said my goodbyes to her because I didn't want her to suffer anymore. But of course, Dolores was not done fighting and she ends up getting better and they moved her into a retirement community. And I went and I visited her in this retirement community. And I remember we're sitting outside. We're like in this little garden area and she's in a pretty good mood. So I leaned in and I said, Dolores, like, You know, you're in a good mood. Why are you in such a good mood? She leans back in and she goes, because I met a guy. (laughs) And I was like, what? So here's the thing. She had met a guy right after she moved in and she had been there for like a month and they had started dating. (laughs) And it wasn't, I don't, I'm not going to say that they were like in love or anything like that, but she was excited about him. And I was like looking in her eyes and she had like a sparkle in her eyes and they would go on these little dates in the retirement community. And I just thought that was so beautiful because I thought her life was over. I was saying goodbye to her. And not only did she survive, but she got to a place where she could be surprised by life again. You know, she could be excited by life. And so for anybody that's listening to this, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're not willing to be surprised by life and excited by life, you're not truly living it. And Mm. so this is a, this is the piece that I wrote. It's called 85. I want to fall in love at 85. Go on shuffleboard dates and dance to hip hop from 95. We would also listen to the song staying alive, but only for the message. Otherwise, we'd keep away from disco. It's depressing. We'd rock matching tracksuits and rope gold chains. We'd look like Run DMC, but in their old age. We'd take aerobics classes and wear bifocal glasses and eat at IHOP and hold hands at Sunday masses. And when it comes to the bedroom, well, nothing much would happen in the bedroom because we're 85. But we would still be down to take a walk or take a drive or sit and talk and have a drink, watch the passers-by, ask each other why and how and who and where and when, and then we'd laugh and cry again about the people we had been. And I would touch her withered skin and comment on how thin it is to keep in something infinite. And she would smile sweet and blush and tell me that I think too much. She's right. I think too much. It's always been a problem, but then again, that's how I made my green like the goblin. When I was in my twenties, I was eating top ramen, counting up my pennies, saving up to go food shopping. But now I'm 85 and somehow I feel more alive. I turned my hearing aid up and bumped Jurassic five. I read the sports page while she peruses classifieds. We like antique stores, garage sales, and barter buys. And when it comes to the bedroom, well, hopefully, every once in a while, she lets me knock her boots into the floral patterns of our bedpost, then hold her head close like death isn't chasing us. Planning on erasing us and replacing us with better versions of us, reshaping us, remaking us, then recreating us with new identities so we can make new memories. Hush, little baby, learn to walk and talk and think and lie and feel and fight and love and die, and never get the answers why. She dips a joint of grass and wheatgrass, and we get high. Her hair is silver as the moon in the Miami sky. We still pop pills but it's not the Molly anymore. Whenever we can't sleep, we listen to the ocean floor. She got a sound of the CCD for me from the Brookstone store. And ever since I've been snoring like a, like a, like a really good metaphor for snoring. <laughs> Sorry. I go blank sometimes. What? I'm 85. I'm not complaining, I'm just happy that I'm still alive and happy that I have my better half by my side, Superfly, She doesn't look a day over 75. When I first saw her, I was totally in awe. She was classical, so I was like, yo, yo, ma. And that was all it took. A single look, and I was shook. I fell for her like some loose shingles from my Spanish roof. And I'm a lover till she loses every last root and has to glue dentures to her gums to chew solid food. Ooh, now that's real love, dude. That's some push comes to shove, love. Not when it's convenient, love. Hospital bed, love. Feed her ice chips, love. Never leave the room, love. Sleeping in the chair, love. Pray to up above, love. Have to pull the plug, love. Miss her in my bones, love. Everything about her, love. Die within a month, love. Can't live without her, love. Love. The only reason that we are alive. And none of us should have to wait until we're 85.
0: <laughs> One of my favorites. Thank you for that. And the reminder to hold the people we love even closer, if not physically, <laughs> in our hearts. Mm, where can people go to get the book?
1: So uh, you can get the book at in q.com. So in -q.com or you can go to Amazon and get it there or i mean shit man i mean it was in all the Barnes and Nobles and all of the independent bookstores and all of that but i don't know honestly what the situation is right now uh, i know that people can't go out but i don't know what the ordering situation is from from those other outlets um i'm sure if you can order from there then you can order from there yeah yeah but um but it's just a little bit uncertain with everything that's going on. And then you can of course just get the audio book uh, and just type in inquire within. And uh, you can do that all through my website and on, you know, social media, I'm at inQLife. life. Uh, and so that's at I N Q L I F E. And uh, if you get the book, let me know what you think about it. I would love to connect with you guys. So tag me in it and let me know your thoughts.
0: Mm, I can't wait to read it. I'm really excited. And thank you for sharing those two poems with us. That gives people just a taste of the amazing transmission that you give through your poetry. I've been to, I don't know, probably I've seen you perform, I'd say four, maybe five times. And I don't think there's a single feeling I haven't felt (laughs) in your performances. You, You push all the buttons and I always leave thinking differently about things so thank you thank you christine yeah no thank you for the work that you do i think there are so many people out there talking about things but you do it in a different way and the the poetry brings it's it's a whole nother entryway in and i I just really appreciate it i'm grateful for for the artist and the teacher and the student that you are so thank Thank you you.
1: I'm, i'm grateful for that and I appreciate you having me on. It's always cool when somebody shares me with their audience because you know you've developed a relationship with them and they trust you. And so when you give me this time, it, it's meaningful to me.
0: Well, it's it's my pleasure. I'm sure they all enjoyed it, and you will have many many new fans that will read your book and come see you perform. If you get it, when when we are out watching performers again, definitely see one of thank shows. It's it's definitely a. It's, Something not to be missed. So, all right, everybody, that's our show for today. Thank you again, and Kia. I'll see you soon.
1: Lots of love.